You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. First American Financial suffers a data exposure with hundreds of millions of mortgage-related documents left open to the Internet. Someone is scanning Tor for signs of BlueKeep RDP vulnerabilities. China complains about U.S. complaints against Huawei as some major German firms rethink their dealings. And no, NSA did not hold Baltimore for ransom, but Baltimore wants Washington to pick up its remediation and recovery tab. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, May 28, 2019. Krebs on Security broke the story late Friday that First American Financial left data pertaining to hundreds of millions of mortgages going back to 2003 exposed on the Internet. Insurance Journal says First American attributed the issue to a design defect in an application and that it's working to fix the problem. It's unknown whether the exposed data have been exploited or misused, but they contain a great deal of sensitive personal information of great potential interest to criminals. First American Financial is involved in closing a great many real estate transactions, and in the course of those deals it serves as a neutral third party. It collects social security numbers, account statements, internal business documents, driver's licenses, and records of wire transfers. 885 million documents were exposed by the design defect. Security firm Graynoise tells ZDNet that parties unknown were scanning Tor exit nodes over the weekend for signs of the BlueKeep vulnerability. This activity seems so far to be in the reconnaissance as opposed to the attack phase of a cyber operation. At least we've seen no reports of the scans leading to active exploitation yet. BlueKeep, which is CVE 2019-0708, affects the remote desktop protocol in older versions of Windows. ZeroPatch is offering a micro-patch for always-on servers and other systems to which Microsoft's patch may be difficult to apply. China has denounced U.S. suspicions of Huawei as so much political posturing, a bunch of hoked-up scare stories designed to give Team America the advantage in trade wars but the U.S. concerns continue to have traction. According to Frankfurter Allgemeine, at least three major German firms, Siemens, SAP, and Bosch, are reviewing their relationship with Huawei. Microsoft has also taken some steps toward distancing itself from Huawei, 
and China's People's Liberation Army has announced it's getting rid of Windows from its systems. And why? Because of the risk that the U.S. might be peeking through Windows to spy on China's secrets. Huawei itself received more unusually bad press over the weekend. The Wall Street Journal published a long account alleging that Huawei has long engaged in deliberated, systematic theft of intellectual property from its partners and others. The Robin Hood ransomware that's afflicted Baltimore this month appears to have spread via the Eternal Blue vulnerability. Eternal Blue, distributed to the world by the Shadow Brokers in 2017, is widely believed to have been a zero-day flaw discovered and held for exploitation by NSA. Hence, the reporting in the New York Times and elsewhere that an NSA tool was used against Baltimore. There have even been some headlines who've suggested, and this is simply wrong and misleading, that NSA itself was attacking American cities, which of course NSA is not doing. Nor is the ransomware itself an NSA tool, as Baltimore Mayor Jack Young insisted for a time before correcting himself. It isn't. Rather, it's a strain of ransomware that's being installed by exploiting the external blue vulnerability in unpatched systems. And Eternal Blue is, as we've said, generally believed to be a zero-day NSA discovered and held back on disclosing. The Robinhood ransomware is now thought to arrived via a phishing email to a city employee. Whether this was targeted spear phishing or large-scale trawling that just hit it lucky isn't clear. Once the ransomware was in, however, it spread through systems that had not been patched against Eternal Blue. Critics, and a lot of those working in cybersecurity are among the critics, point out that Eternal Blue has not only been disclosed for two years, but that it's also been patched for two years. The vulnerability has been exploited to distribute other malware, notably WannaCry, before. Neither Eternal Blue nor its exploitation in high-profile cyber attacks, nor the fact that Microsoft issued patches to fix it, including patches for Windows XP and Windows Vista. XP at the time was beyond the end of its support life, and Vista was fast approaching the same condition. So, in some respects, Redmond's patching was a commendable act of supererogation. Should Baltimore have patched over the past two years? The city is asking for federal emergency relief funds to help mop up its ransomware disaster. The mayor and the city council are arguing, in effect, that this is NSA's mess and that Washington needs to step in and help clean it up. The squabble puts the Maryland congressional delegation in a bit of a bind. To take one example, Representative Dutch Ruppersberger, whose district includes both portions of Baltimore City and Fort Meade, home of NSA. Has expressed shock that an NSA-discovered vulnerability should have found its way into the hands of bad actors, and has called upon the agency to answer to Congress as to how this came about. It seems worth considering that the time for shock, if any, would probably have been back in 2017, and that Representative Ruppersberger is about as well informed about the U.S. intelligence community in general, and the National Security Agency in particular, as anyone in Congress. And a lot of constituents either work for NSA or in the cybersecurity industry. It's worth noting that what to do with zero days the intelligence community finds is controlled by the vulnerability equities process, an interagency procedure that decides what to disclose and when and to whom. There's always a degree of vagueness with assigning blame for negligence. It may be hard to draw a sharp line between day and night. But only the most obtuse member of a city council would deny the obvious difference at Charm City's latitude between 3 p.m. and midnight. 
With respect to patching and recovery planning, at City Hall it's probably around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And yes, it can be tough to patch, but Baltimore's IT issues seem to run fairly deep. Ars Technica has a useful rundown of the high turnover among the city's IT leadership over the past several years. The publication reports, quote, Since 2012, four Baltimore City chief information officers have been fired or have resigned, two left while under investigation. Quote, it seems only fair to note that Baltimore did much better when hackers intruded into the city's networks back in March 2018. The city's 911 and 311 systems were out for about 17 hours, but the city reverted quickly to manual backups and had everything back to normal in less than a day. The contrast with the chaos produced in Atlanta by a Samsam ransomware attack at about the same time was striking. Atlanta was clobbered. Baltimore looked pretty good by contrast. Not so this time around. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and Zero Trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. And joining me once again is Malek Ben Salem. She's the senior R&D manager for security at Accenture Labs. Malek, it's great to have you back. Um, you wanted to touch today on uh, some stuff coming from NIST about transitioning crypto algorithms. What can you share with us today? Yeah, last month, NIST published the second revision of the special publication, 800-131A, uh, which looked at transitioning the use of cryptographic algorithms and key lengths. The first revision of this publication, uh, which was published back in November 2015, uh, is now withdrawn. And this publication, NIST provides some guidance and on the recommended key management procedures, the recommended algorithms that protect sensitive information, and how to plan for possible changes in the use of crypto algorithms, including the migration 
to, to new algorithms. This is actually addresses possible use of new cryptanalysis, but also the increasing power of classical computing technology and the potential emergence of quantum computers. And so what are some of the key updates here with this version versus uh, the one that it replaces? Yeah, the, the main uh, change with respect to the previous version is the recommended security strength uh, for crypto algorithms. It used to be 80 bits. Uh, now NIST recommends a security strength of at least 112 bits uh, for applying crypto protection to data, whether it's for encrypting data or for signing data. Uh, as I mentioned, you know, in previous episodes on CyberWire, we talked about uh, the emergence of quantum computing and the threat that it brings to the way we uh, protect our data today because it jeopardizes the strength of, of the underlying math that we use to uh, in, in crypto algorithms. You know, the way we encrypt data, which relies on public key infrastructure, is based on the intractability of the integer factorization and the discrete log problems. And that intractability uh, may no longer be uh, valid uh, when we have quantum computers. So NIST is prepping for that, uh, as well as for the advancements of classical computing technology by uh, asking businesses and uh, you know, federal agencies to increase the key lengths of the algorithms they use today so that a security trend, uh, strength of at least 112 bits uh, is used. And, and is there uh, any particular downside to, to this? Does this mean that... Uh that there'll have to be more computing power thrown at these algorithms to, to make them work? Uh, that may be the case. There may be more computational power used to encrypt data. Uh, obviously, the data that has been encrypted already will continue to be decrypted with the existing algorithms, with the existing keys. That presents some risk uh, that organizations need to be aware of. But, you know, that's part of, you know, going through this transition. <laughs> And in terms of organizations plotting out their own use of encryption and, and deciding uh, what sort of uh, levels they should set it at, I mean, is this the type of thing where you take a risk-based approach or is there a generally a, a minimum level below which you, you should not even consider falling? Absolutely. They, they, they should take a risk-level approach. I think the current recommendation for 112 bits in terms of security strength, that applies obviously for protecting highly sensitive data. Uh, for less sensitive data, you would take a risk-based approach and uh, choose the right algorithm or the right security strength for your algorithm. All right. Well, it's interesting information. Malek Ben-Salem, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber.
And that's the CyberWire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.